Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and today I am joined by Alex Stewart. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Excellent. Mm. And uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? I'm very, very well. Wonderful. Well, today we're going to talk more about sensible transfers. We're following the format that we have followed for the last couple of weeks. Alex, quickly tell me what that is. Uh, <laughs> Put you on the spot there, didn't I? Yeah. Normally I do that. Uh, so uh, a while back, I think it's like three weeks ago or something, we, we received a list of suggestions for uh, clubs and positions where recruitment was either required or people were interested in our opinions on that. Seb and I have taken a, a slightly different approach. I've tended to focus on a kind of an analytical perspective and using video scouting. And Seb uses the the knowledge of games that he's actually been to see and a kind of broader sense of what clubs are seeking to achieve. So between the two of us, we come up with a series of ideas for who certain clubs should recruit in certain positions. It's very exciting. And we've compiled a list today of, I believe, five or... Well, it's, oh, it's, it's four, four players and a wild card. Yes, okay, that's nice. Uh, let us begin then with Manchester City. So this suggestion, uh, do you have who this is from, Alex? Oh, gosh, no. No, okay, never mind. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, but yeah. whoever it was... I've seen this one quite a few times yeah. on, on the comments. I'm so sure. maybe it's a collective. I'm question. sure there are numerous people asking for this one, but yeah. Manchester City, a centre-forward to replace an ageing... Aguero, who it seems that you both learnt uh, in your research or your <laughs> watching, is really good at football, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I, I mean, I knew he was really good at football. I think the mm. thing that sometimes stands out when you look at uh, analytics rather than just looking at, at actual games is how uh, volume-wise uh, a player compares to other top players that you're aware of. Um, and I think sometimes, particularly with Aguero's impact at City, because there are other players at City who are so clearly in advance of, of many of the other players that play in their positions in the Premier League. So your De Bruyne's and David Silvers and, and Leroy Sané, season before last and so on. I think Aguero's contribution can sometimes not be missed because people know that he's very good, but he doesn't necessarily stand out comparatively in quite the same way that these players do. What is his role? Because it's, the, it's quite confusing uh, in the Manchester City side. Mm. So he is, first and foremost, he is there to play in the penalty box and to finish the, the moves that, that Manchester City construct. Having said that, he's also crucial to build up play because City will have players running uh, beyond him, particularly say a Raheem Sterling cutting in from the right-hand side, Sané cutting in from the left. So he's not just there to, to finish off stuff, although he scored, I think, over 30 goals last season. His movement and his positional ability also creates space for other players. So he's, he's a classic kind of multifaceted striker. Um, so presumably you want someone who can score goals, but also knows when it's best to get out of the way for Raheem Sterling. Yes, in short. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that's quite a good way of putting it. So you, you want somebody who is able to contribute to link up play. So someone like Lewandowski three or four years ago, uh -huh. um, but not Lewandowski because he's too old now and he wouldn't leave Bayern. So right. a really, really tricky player. The other thing with Aguero is he is just an extraordinarily good finisher. He's got a low center of gravity. He's physically very strong. So in pressurised situations, he's able to find angles and to maintain his uh, physical position to be able to strike the ball under extreme pressure in the penalty area, mm. which again is, is a really tricky thing to be able to do. So you're basically, 
I mean, essentially, you're being asked to do the sort of thing that if you can do it straightforwardly, then, you know, any club would bite your hand off for that knowledge. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. Let's try and do that. But let's start with Seb. Mm. So what are your thoughts here? Because as Alex has just uh, suggested, uh, replacing someone like Sergio Aguero is never going to be easy. And the, the idea that we would find a sort of like-for-like replacement is, is practically impossible. I mean, he's a wonderful player. Forget about what he's given to Manchester City over the last however many years that he's been there. But where do you start to try and replace someone like him, Seb? I think the most efficient way is to is to look at someone who could potentially become or replicate uh, Aguero's role and volume within five years. Because a, a club like Manchester City, you could easily say, right, need a top class forward. You can go and find one in Europe or South America. That's that's the that's the obvious way of starting. But it's not really it's not really the task at hand. It's not really what we're going for. Um, so, um, continuing from what Alex said about it, the style in which he plays, kind of his ability to link with players around him and his finishing, um, I look for someone who uh, had a similar low centre of gravity, which is kind of key to Aguero's movement with the ball in the penalty box, but also someone who had a very short backlift in their shot. Uh, because, what, does that, what does that mean? So, if you look at the way, um, it, it's literal mechanics, so the way he actually kicks the football. Um, if you see some of Aguero's finishes, I mean, I, I think specifically of one at Old Trafford a couple of years ago where he came kind of sort of speed skating across the edge of the box and under great pressure just rammed something into, um, rammed the shot into, uh, into the top corner. And that's quite a, a unique skill. Certainly the, the package as a whole is quite unique. Um, so I went to Huesca in La Liga um, and Cucho Hernandez, who's actually on loan from Watford. Um, it's quite an easy pick because he's actually been dubbed as the next Aguero. I, I don't think that's quite true. I think he's more of a, a, a Carlos Tevez than an Aguero. He has a kind of a slightly more bullish, aggressive style. He's not the greatest finisher yet, but if you look at sort of his willingness to pick the ball up in the kind of, um, not just in the final third, but in sort of wide areas in the final third and drive diagonally towards the box or you know, lay a pass off and move and field. He's very, very interesting. Uh, he's still 20. Um, he Can I be- pick up on a point about finishing? Yes. Just as a sort of aside, because the way I sometimes think about strikers from yep. a young age is that they have an inherent ability to finish. Is that something that you will see, for example, this player 20 years old? I know that his finishing could improve over time, but do we see footballers improve their finishing dramatically from the age of 20 upwards, or is it something that they have from a young age, an instinctive ability? I think it's more of a, the refining of a mental attribute. I think what improves is their composure. Like you can teach a player technique, you can teach a player to, in training, to, uh, you know, side foot the ball in rather than put his laces through it. Um, but what you really have to teach a player is um, when the chance is there to apply that technique. Um, someone like Kicha Hernandez, I think there's an actual asterisk. Huesca are not a good team. Well, they were, were not a good team. They, I think they went down in 19th place from La Liga. Um, he misses chances. He isn't the most efficient. But what you have to assume is that in a side who create a better volume of chances and a better volume of good chances, then it becomes easier to apply better goal scoring technique. Um, it's a little bit of a tenuous science, but I, don't, I, I think it probably makes sense that in a side who struggle for goals, who are under relegation pressure, who are um, generally going to play with a scarcity of possession, I think the position of goal scorer is far harder. I think also the position of a non-target man goal scorer, you know, a finesse player essentially, um, is a lot more trying. I think with strikers as well, there's another aspect that, that's harder to teach. And I agree in terms of the technical stuff, 
teaching finishing, teaching how to approach a goalkeeper, you can do. But some strikers, I think, appear almost instinctively to have a sense of movement and positioning. And I remember we had the conversation before, and I'm not sure if Seb was on this podcast, where you were asking about analytic scouting and the difficulty of appreciating strikers' movements, because often a striker can make very, very good runs, which don't result in anything actually happening, and therefore those movements aren't necessarily tracked. Uh, they don't result in something that you can statistically record, so it's hard to... Now, I think this is one of the things that you... It's an area where with video scouting, for example, it really pays to watch how a striker performs across a whole game or a number of games, obviously, mm -hmm. if you're doing it properly. Because what you want to see is strikers making good runs irrespective of what then happens. You know, that they they may not be found with a pass because they're playing for Huesca, but that's what allows you to then think, okay, well, if they were actually playing ahead of a David Silva or a Kevin De Bruyne, that run was really intelligent. You could see why he moved that way in that direction because he's looking around and he's doing various things. And with a higher quality of teammate, that run then yields something. I think it's higher quality teammate, absolutely. But also with, with, with playing for a, a, power, a financially powerful side comes the luxury of being able to construct a team, align attributes, so to speak, so that you have a player that isn't just the best that that particular team can afford or the one in that position can, can attract. but one that does things, that has traits within their game that are complemented by forwards, attacking midfielders, wingers. And so that's why I think there's always a little bit of a, a coin flip with that kind of transfer. Like, can you, how, how much does this sort of raw ability translate? What is it going to look like? How quick is the refinement process actually going to be? Because it's one thing me talking about refining technique and becoming, you know, confident and composed in front of goal. It's quite another for that player to actually become so because you know, with playing for a Manchester City comes an entirely different but equal sort of pressure. It's like you, instead of scoring the goals upon which you survive or are relegated, it's titles and Champions League qualifications. So it's, I, I don't know whether those are equal forces, but they're similar. So yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. You also have to wonder with a player like that where what, what the dressing room feels about them and receives them because, you know, the, that's a dressing room where there have been high caliber replacements recently. It's most of the transfer business that Man City has done of late has both been for serious money and also very intelligent. So those players who are already there, the kind of dressing room leaders are looking at people that are coming in and going, yeah, yeah, you fit, you fit. And then somebody who is maybe more of a prospect, somebody who comes in from a lower side, albeit in one of Europe's top five leagues, is that player going to be accepted in quite the same way? I think there's a real onus on the management and the structure away from the playing staff to ensure that those players transition well. And that that's, again, something that can be really difficult to, to gauge how successful it'll be. I think, I think it's important to be clear at this point. What, what I expect to happen post-Aguero, he's 31 at the moment. He's probably got a season, two seasons left at his current level. I expect Gabriel Jesus to come into that position first. I think that's, that's what's going to happen. And... Jesus is a player that Guardiola believes in clearly. Um, I think what's going to happen then is a sort of the, I, mean, I, I just think it makes sense to, 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 to put in as a deputy, a player that is pliable, that has a, um, that has these basic traits. And it'd be interesting to see if Manchester City would go that route. I think, I think that's, that is the best way because I think that um, as we discussed, it's, it's, it's very hard. You cannot pick a, an off the peg replacement for a player that, 
has been scoring a lot of goals for a very long time in a in a um in a in a, in a style which is kind of his own. Um, you can't just go out and pay eighteen million pounds for uh, Dybala, or mm. it, it's not it's not it's, it's a, not a championship a team manager whose style is not so similar to that. Uh, all yeah. of the other teams either. Well, and also, like, you, you, I mean, by the time this question arrives and needs to be answered, is is Guardiola even going to be there? Mm. Like, he's never spent as long as, uh, you know, that long in a football club. He's never done five years. Um, and that's the kind of t- time range we're talking about, uh, um, the timeline we're talking about. So it's interesting. I just think it's, um, you look around, who are who are the sort of the the, bu- the blue chip prospects for that, that coming era? Um, and I can't find many better or many who, who who fit into that. Do you want my other more speculative picks? Yeah, as well. Sure. Would you Would you give us the name of the first your first choice again? Kucha uh, Hernandez. He's a Colombian. He's twenty years old. Uh, he spent last season on loan at Huesca, but he is contracted to Watford. But I don't think he'd get a work permit, um, so I don't expect to see him in the Premier League anytime soon. He'll probably go back to La Liga next year. I'm not quite sure where, but. Okay, we'll, we'll pop the names for these uh, players in the uh, description of the podcast uh, as well. So if you want to have a look at them yourselves, go there. Uh, who's your next more speculative pick? Uh, even more speculative, uh, Julian Alvarez, 19, plays for River Plate. Julian. Julian Alvarez. Yeah, he's, um, his career has really only just begun. It's quite difficult to kind of to have a, a firm idea of what kind of player he is. I don't think he is. Um, he doesn't occupy the same... Uh, stylistic role as an Aguero but he's certainly interesting in terms of the range of his goal scoring there's a creativity even now I mean the, this is this is very um, this is based off a very small sample just because his professional career doesn't have enough enough breadth to it yeah mm. so this, is just, this is just a Y Scout job basically where did you see him? Y Scout right yeah no I needed to fill this out because I this is one of those where I, I couldn't there isn't anything inside the Premier League there's nothing inside mainland Europe which makes a lot of sense over the long term Nothing that I've seen anyway. So I think you need to go deeper and look at what um, what makes sense over a kind of um, buy and develop kind of uh, mentality. Um, but Alvarez is interesting. I um, I like players that have played um, for River Plate purely because um, I like the idea of a young player who's experienced that environment, a player that can deal with adversity. I'm, the one the one I always go back to is Eric Lamella. Um, not that he's a forward or, you know, he really belongs in this conversation, but as a mentality, uh, as a case study into mentality, you see a young player that was actually relegated with River Plate and one of his last acts was to um, to stand in the middle of the pitch after they'd, they'd lost that two-legger game against Belgrano. Uh, four years ago? Five years ago? Must be more, actually, if it's, if it's Lamella. Anyway, and, you know, fans and stands are chucking bricks out of the, you know... Uh, off the terraces and, and sort of bouncing off players. his abs. Well, maybe, maybe I'm not sure Eric was quite as developed then as he is now, but yeah. Um, and you just think, right, a young player experiences that as his entry point to the game. And then you come into European football. Um, you've got things like cultural challenges, learning a language, being away from family, that kind of stuff. However, you also have all kinds of sort of secondary adversities. So, you know, typically a South American player moving into, moving to England, um, struggles with the pace of the game or you know one of the weird little details is that sort of pitches in south america generally not watered so it's a you know to us that seems minor you know that seems all right you can you can deal with that in a couple of training sessions not really true if it affects your your in all of your reference points for timing for playing passes for shooting all that kind of stuff um and when a player can can cope in a sort of hothouse environment I think conditions them well. And, and obviously the prerequisite is you've got to have the ability. And Alvarez looks very promising. Um, 
very interesting. I don't pretend to know an awful lot about him, but he's um, yeah, he's intriguing. And the third one is um, someone in, actually inside Manchester City's academy, um, Nabil Tuazi. Apologies if I've if I've pronounced that wrong. Uh, Eighteen years old, a little um, a little bit more upright than than Aguero. Like yeah, Aguero has that slightly crouched sort of speed skater um, position when he when he's in possession. Twizy is more of a, um, uh, like a, receives the ball in a more upright position. Yaya Toure used to stand up very straight whenever he was dribbling the ball. I think kind of Yaya Toure, bit of a footballing unicorn, just in terms of how often do you get that package of ability and skill and do, technique. Do you and mean power. to say he didn't exist? I mean to say he's very, very rare. I believe in unicorns. Right. I believe in the scarcity of Maybe unicorns. Maybe like a Madagascan species or something. Yeah, something like that. Some, 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 from somewhere remote. Should I way. believe in the scarcity of unicorns? I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that, that's I. that's interesting. This this is a both of these are very very speculative, but I I think um, I like the idea of City's culture is is sort of based on certainly their co- coaching culture long term is based on on uh, development from the inside, and I don't just mean in the sense that they've they spent an awful lot of money constructing an academy facility. I think sort of uh, for instance their you know, their 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 mentality with someone like Patrick Vieira a couple of years ago when they sent him over to coach New York City. I know he's at Nice now, but it's a kind of, it's that fabled Barcelona way they're trying to replicate. So mm. I think it's interesting if you kind of, if you take that stage further and you look at, right, who is in this academy and who can they actually groom to fill these positions and, you know, and put other things into play as well. Like what, a, what effect are, and I'm going to be very careful with how we phrase this, but what effect are UEFA going to have on Man City in the coming years? Um, I know City fans don't like that being mentioned, but it does have to be. Like the days of um of just signing hundred million pounds, hundred million pounds, hundred million pounds each summer, you know they might not last forever. You, City have the resources for them to do so, but um there has to be a plan B, and so it's it it is necessary to take stock of what actually exists in that academy and to to kind of plot the pathway between academy and first team. And he's he looks very interesting. Um, also, I would say from from a marketability point of view, can you think of a, a team? That is perhaps better known or, or, or more celebrated than either um, Barcelona under Pep Guardiola when those players came, or many of them came from La Masia together, or um, the 1999 treble win with Manchester United again, the class of 91. I or put in mid 90s Ajax in there, the European Cup winners, of course, but it's the same. But th- those those teams last forever, don't they? And so even, even they from the marketability point of view, if, if Manchester City can manage somehow to, I know that it's impossible to 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 predict that that could happen, but if they could in 10 years time have a team that was that came from their academy that would last forever in a way that the city team who've won the premier league a few Absolutely. times in a row won't well you're asking people then to invest in an idea to emotionally invest in an idea That's it. i mean i think um they need a rashford yeah they they need a player who is capable of sustaining the, the level of football that he is but who's part of a tradition because at the moment they it's vincent p- company you know particularly for city it's all too easy to see them as being you know, these oil-rich guys who've bought Title X, bought Title Y. And it's not to say, I mean, I I don't particularly agree with that in some regards because I think the way they've gone about it suggests an intelligence that you can't just throw money at stuff. It doesn't work like that. Plenty of clubs have tried to do it and failed. Exactly. But at the same time, I think what they maybe do lack in terms of an overall package is a sense of not heritage overall, because obviously, you know, there's Main Road and there's the up and down period. And a lot of City fans do set that as a sort of, it's an offset against what they've achieved now. It's nice to have come from something that was much more chaotic. 
But to build a proper dynasty, you do need to have some kind of connection to the roots of that club. And I think that's why someone like Phil Fodden's particularly important. Um, I agree with your point about UEFA as well. I mean, it's really interesting that they've brought Angelino back from PSV, which is, yes, I mean, he's had a stellar season at PSV, but he also counts as a homegrown player. Exactly that. So, you know, there are, you can see little tentative moves there to to try and finesse these other issues. But I do think having someone like a, a Marcus Rashford, but for City, would be really important. What is the City Academy called? Uh, it's just part of the complex. Uh, I mean, the, the whole thing is referred to as the Etihad, the Etihad complex, campus. The Etihad campus. Is, even. Yeah. So you've got sort of, you've got residential dormitories there. You've got a, um, you've got the sort of the mini stadium actually where Manchester City's uh, women, uh, female sides play, um, but also their academy teams as well. So it's a, it's an entire thing. If you ever, if you ever go to the Etihad Stadium, um, when you go up there by tram, you, it, it's kind of. Uh, I don't mean this in a derisory sense, but it, it's kind of wastelandish. There's nothing there apart from um, sort of infrastructure, so stadium and and buildings and sort of it, it, yeah, it's uh, it's very very impressive actually. If you if you um if you ever get the chance to go there, it's uh, mm. yeah. Okay, uh, Alex, who are your suggestions to replace Aguero at Manchester City? So I agree with with pretty much everything that Seb has said up to this point in terms of. Trying to find an off-the-shelf player is extremely difficult. Uh, I think there is somebody in Europe who has sort of enough about them, which is Lotero Martinez at Inter. Um, I think there's stylistic similarities in the way he plays. He can also play deeper. He can link. I think there's... What's his name again? Lotero Martinez. Okay. Um, I can't remember where he came from, but he was a he was a football manager wonder kid. So he's... He's one of the ones uh, they, that they how you know into right. Milan are kind of um, pegging their future on him because by all accounts, Mauro Icardi is available to leave. They can't find a home for Icardi, but yeah. they want to go with. I mean, I you know, wouldn't Martinez. touch Icardi no. with a barge pole. No. Um, Why not? He's, uh, off the field stuff. He's really yeah. He's uh, I mean, he's got the sort of the personality of, a, of an open grave, um, but also. Um, Jesus. What what is the personality of He's just a very difficult he's person. He's also he's, kind of yeah. He's, very, he's got a history of falling out with his own supporters, being difficult at the club. He was stripped of the captaincy last last year, last season. He's also um, I think he's still managed by um, his, his wife, wife or partner. Wonder. Um, yeah, and there's a there's a hint of the Mrs. Rabio about her as well, and the way that she handles the Mrs. Rabio reference has gone over my head as well. Uh, so uh, Adrian Rabio's mum, who uh, is a little bit feisty with uh, with her dealings with clubs for a protective so, so she son. should be I would right. say yeah I'd have thought so but it's it's difficult these are this is uh, let's call it baggage yeah okay yeah speaking I, of baggage just on just on a slight tangent here I don't know if either of you have seen it but I watched the Diego Maradona documentary the other day I haven't seen it so no uh, no don't well I mean I don't think there, there are, are spoilers, any spoilers no. it's, <laughs> it's already happened uh, but uh, I did think you know what a sad story I thought also it's a very you know we've come a long way since then but it's a funny reflection of uh, how to deal with uh, a drug addict who's... Uh, there's a great bit where it talks about him uh, when he was at Napoli using an awful lot of drugs as of immediately after the game has finished on a Sunday and going on a bender until Wednesday, taking enough drugs that a doctor says it would be very difficult for someone to then just abruptly stop. But he would do that on Wednesday and he would train until Sunday, play the game and then start again. 
And, uh, you know, the, the idea being that football was the only thing that he loved more than he loved drugs. And uh, the idea that you would punish a drug addict by taking football away from him, I just thought was a really stupid idea. You know, lovely film. La Very Tara sad. Martinez. Yeah. Very sad. Well, the connection, isn't Aguero married to his daughter? I think so. Yeah. Separated. Separated. Oh, they're, yeah, okay. they're separated. Ah, uh, well, everyone so, is these days. I think, uh, I might not be correct with this, but I don't think, um, I think uh, Aguero's uh, ex-wife and child still live in Argentina and they have joint custody of the child and Aguero lives by himself in Manchester. This, this turned up in uh, City's All or Nothing documentary last year. He, he lives by himself and he seems to live a fairly lonely existence. But yeah. Um, yeah, he's certainly separated, if not divorced, from, uh, from yeah. his, his child's mother. Well, that sounds very sad, doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound sad? How do we replace so him I'm, in his job? I'm going to try and <laughs> how do we how do we take away what he has now? Yeah, and give it to someone else. Um, yeah, well, maybe he'd be happier going back to Argentina. To, maybe anyway, uh, I hope so. So yeah, Lautaro Martinez. I mean, he's he's not a secret. He's pretty well known. He's been playing for Argentina at the Copa America. He's very good. I I think Inter. They don't need to be secrets, by the way. Well, no, no, I know. Yeah. But um, I think. I, th- I think into there will be a price at which they are prepared to sell him. I know Barcelona are apparently sniffing around as well. So, so he's one. As a slightly more punty option, who I like and maybe hasn't quite fulfilled his potential yet, but also from Serie A, is um, Arcadius Milik, who is... What uh, a fantastic name. <laughs> so he's a, he's a rather strapping Polish lad. Is, um, he, is he a children's uh, magical character? No, he's a footballer. Okay, Joe. sorry, I've got confused um, again. Injury history, Alex? I mean, yeah, he's like, don't get me wrong, he's not ideal, but there are aspects to what he does that are quite difficult to see in other players. So he has an ability to link and drop off where you almost think he can play as a number 10 just as a number 10. And indeed, Poland have used him as a number 10 playing off Robert Lewandowski. At the same time, what he does have is an ability to finish really tricky, particularly tight, close chances where he's under immense physical pressure, partly because he's a big lad, but also he just, I don't know, he just has this ability to kind of twist and contort his body into strange shapes and, and score goals where you think there's no way that, you know, because of where the defenders are that he can get a shot in. So I quite like him. Is he a long-term thing? No. Is he a particularly likely transfer? No, but there are, if you're looking to sort of build aspects of the kind of player that Aguero is, there are some similarities there that will probably annoy some people. My last one is uh, actually an Atletico Madrid under-18 player um, called Sergio Camelo. Camelo? Uh, yes. Hello. Who, I'm sorry, I know I adjusted my position in relation to the microphone That's there. fine. Okay. Please don't reveal the inattentions of the TIFO football podcast. There are no inattentions, man. Um, so he's played, I think, uh, I made a note of this. Yeah, he played one La Liga game. He scored a goal against Levante. <laughs> I love that you had to look at your notes to remember he played one game. Well, because, you know. <laughs> so I was expecting you to say 2.46. Well, okay. oh, all right, fine. 5.63 touches per 90, 3.75 shots game. per 90. Hold on, hold on. Let me just check my notes. I have two pairs of shoes on. Sorry, you do don't carry you on. have one pair of shoes on. Oh, I've buggered that up, haven't I? Um, anywho, <laughs> um, he <laughs> literally couldn't have picked anything worse as an example. 
<laughs> me, not you. Yeah. No one has ever mugged themselves up more spectacularly <laughs> than that on a podcast. That was terrific. That, that was, was good, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I'm not going to wax lyrical about this lad, but anyway, he looks really good. There are... Camelo. Yeah, there are some physical similarities to the way he runs, the way he... The, the sort of low back lift. He's a kind of bustling presence. He tracks back. He works really hard defensively as well. He's not great defensively, but then which strikers are. Don't they always tell you to lift your head up, though, and, and stand straight when you're running? I, you know, I know what you mean when you talk about Sergio Aguero's run, but what, what is the benefit of... Uh... No, no, I don't, I, I don't mean he runs with his head down. I mean, there's, there's a, a kind of, there's a competitive right. quality to the way he like runs. Like Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sanchez, Sanchez isn't the dumbest pick to replace an Aguero-type player. If Sanchez was two years further back in time. I mean, they tried, didn't they? Um, but did they? I believe they did. I mean, the rumour was that when not he went to United... Not, not, not for the sake of replacing Aguero, they just wanted him as a they supplement. They just wanted him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and actually, by the way, I do think the correct answer to this whole question is Gabriel Jesus and then yeah, me too, somebody yeah. else playing okay. on the left. So we'll, yeah. we'll get that out of the way. All right. But this is, this is a guy, if, you know, if you're interested in prospects that are playing for big European clubs aren't really playing first-team football yet, but well, get also, the odd opportunity. His team has just bought a very young player who yeah. for a lot of money. So his, his I would imagine he's sitting at home at the moment thinking, my first-team chances are going to be fairly limited right no, now. No, because he, he is a striker, and I think they'll play Jao Felix very much as a second striker attacking midfielder. I see. He, he's, he's a Griezmann replacement rather than a Diego Costa replacement. Okay. So, um yeah, I mean, I don't know what the chances are. If you buy a really expensive player like that, it goes two ways because um, it could be symbolic of a club's desire to spend a lot of money and really establish themselves. Mm. It could be a like-for-like like with Griezmann who they sell for a lot of money. There's no more money to go around and therefore younger players are actually going to get an opportunity. And okay. we don't know which way it'll go with Atletico Madrid. This is an Today's episode of the podcast is supported by The Economist. Now, Alex, did you know that The Economist is about far more than just economy and finance? That was my working assumption. Shall I tell you what else it's about? Please. It's about world politics, business, science, technology, arts. Uh-huh. Okay. The environment... And even sport, as if to denigrate us to the bottom of the pile. Uh, but no, the reason I actually like The Economist's uh, take on sport is because uh, they're not a sporting publication primarily. Therefore, I find what they have to say on sport much more interesting because they're coming at it from all sorts of different angles. And we found something, Alex. This article uh, says something that you've already said at me about six times, so I picked it out <laughs> because I thought it, it, you would agree with it. I do. I do agree with what that is very it? much. It's called Football Talent Scouts Become More Rational. Um, Does it help readers prepare for what's going on in the world around them? Uh, no, but it explains something really very crucial about football that, that right. is helpful to you know, know and think about. And I think understand. it does probably sift through the noise, though, focusing on the essential information that tells the real story. That it definitely does. That is actually true. Because... 
because the noise is all the brouhaha around, oh, you should buy this guy because he scored one wonder goal against Colombia in the second round. And that's yeah. what this article makes very clear is that that is a stupid way of doing things. And it's about the World Cup, or at least a bit of it's about the World Cup. And this, the, yeah. the Economist has been going for over 170 years. Did you know that? Longer than the Longer World than Cup. Longer than the actual World Cup. So therefore it's better. That's that's how it works. The, yeah. yeah. Trusted well, yes. source of information. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so yes, this is a good article. Um, and the, the, I mean, to break it down very, very straightforwardly, what it says is that nowadays people have access to scouting tools and video, which means they don't have to rely on international tournaments to see players they wouldn't have previously seen before. Mm. And that allows people, football clubs and scouts to get a much more sensible understanding of a player's long-term quality rather than what is called the availability heuristic, which is, oh, the thing I just saw is incredible. Mm-hmm. So no more Danielsons, no more El Hajjufs. Who do they cite? Do they cite any examples? Um, well, they look at James Rodriguez, um, which is an interesting example. Um, I think, you know, the, the move, the price there to Real Madrid immediately after the World Cup probably was wildly over the top yeah um, and also I, I mean i know you like hammers rodriguez i do like him but i suppose what you could say is that um it's not necessarily that the what well, it's reported 80 million euro move wasn't necessarily that that was too much for him it's just that they probably could have got him in the in that market of the time for a lot less had the world cup not inflated exactly goal. exactly so there's a lad um luca waldschmidt that we talked about in the last sensible transfers podcast and and before the under 21 euros probably very few people have heard of him he then bursts onto the scene and that will have literally doubled his value. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what happened with Hammers. And I think the point here is less that Hammers is a bad player. It's more that the value that is attached to a good performance in the World Cup. I mean, there's a brilliant stat in here about the fact that uh, a, goal increase, a goal in a World Cup increases a player's value by 13% each time it happens, uh-huh. which is just bonkers, really. Yeah. Um, that is crazy. So it's not saying that Hamez is bad. What it's saying is that Hamez was almost certainly overvalued on the basis of that small sample size of games. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you compared it to his previous club career, you would have seen here is a good player, but here is a good player who's worth maybe 40 million in that market. Yeah. I know. I find it fascinating. Yeah, it? it's a great article. Um, but The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. So if you've never stopped asking questions, you can get your free print copy now by texting TIFO, T-I-F-O, to 78070. Alex, you uh, also read The Economist, don't you, in your own time? I do. I do sometimes, yes. Yeah. I, I, I have to buy it usually at train stations. Would you describe yourself as someone who uh, never stops asking questions and wants to know why the world works the way that it does? Like a four-year-old child. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a free print copy of The Economist? Ideally, yes. Okay, I think you should get... Let's do it on the video. Okay. Get your phone out now. <laughs> I didn't prepare you for this. I'm going to make you do it. Okay. Get your phone out now and text 780... Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. 780... Just wait, I'm not very good at oh. this stuff. <laughs> you might have the uh, inquisitiveness of a child, but you have the fingers of a pensioner. Okay, what's the number? 780... 780-70-70... And the, the text message should read TIFO. It's, it's gone. It's done. Has it? What happens? I'm always curious to know what happens when you do that. I don't know. Nothing yet. Maybe it's not live. <laughs>
<laughs> we are recording this before the day of release. The campaign might not be live, but we have done it. <laughs> the camera just died. <laughs> Alex's camera just died, so it's a good time to wrap up now. But as I said, do please think about getting your uh, free print copy of The Economist. Um, and don't just think about it. Do please do it. Uh, 78070, text the word TIFO. Thank you. Back to the podcast now. Quick aside here. Uh, who, in your opinions, this is so un-TIFO, but who, in your opinions, is the, is the most disappointing, most expensive player you can think of? Ever? Well, just in your memory. Not necessarily. I'm not asking you to give me the definitive answer of all time. But I'm thinking, for example, I remember when Fernando Torres moved from Liverpool to Chelsea, and that seemed at the time like a, you know... A big sort of... Um... Danielson when he moved from Sao Paulo to Real Betis. Okay. Yeah. Marcelo Gallardo when I think he moved to... He went to Paris Saint-Germain, I think. Right. Uh, but I remember Gallardo being one of those guys that sort of on Championship Manager 94, 95, 95, 96, that kind of, you know, just in your mind was this, this perfect... South American number 10. Mm. And uh, I can't remember the fee that they spent on bringing him um, over, but he, uh, yeah, wasn't uh, now, now manager of River Plate, Marcelo Gallardo. And I think. joint most successful ever already. Mm. So, uh, yeah, his fan is calling, but uh, I, I just, I, it was, this was a, this was a entirely superficial love because he just, he looks how you wanted that kind of flair to look. And right. it was, uh, yeah, it was sort of, uh, yeah. Um, that was very disappointing. Uh, Danielson's a, Danielson's one because, I heard of his transfer fee before I knew the player. And therefore you imagine this impossibly gifted footballer. Um, others, I'm not sure. Ibrahimovic at Barcelona, maybe, because I just, I was naive. I thought there'd be some kind of reinvention of his abilities and that he would, he would be less resistant to Guardiola than he ultimately was. And that the, the, the ensuing spectacle would be something really worth watching. And no, it wasn't. That you're Bringing up Guardiola again reminds me of something that okay. I think is a really interesting point to consider when we're talking about this sort of thing. Like you said, you know, Guardiola has never been at a club for this. Well, I mean, you know, I think this will become the longest two. season, our longest reign after this yeah. season. Yeah. So I think, as I said before, you know, I think City have been a really smart club in terms of how they conduct their business. It would be very interesting to know, and obviously, when we're not going to know, but what sort of either is Guardiola going to stay for longer than he's ever done before? If he's not, is there succession planning? Because maybe Mikel Arteta is the closest you come to a kind of a young coach who's working closely or has worked closely with him. But, you know, it's not like there's a kind of a school of Guardiola in the same way that some other big coaches have disciples in, in quite the same fashion. City, I think, probably are big enough and clever enough to be thinking about future acquisitions with a potential future manager in mind, or maybe having a nice kind of smorgasbord of different types of players to fit different stuff. So I think there's there are some really interesting questions, and it may be that one of the ways we can start to discern City's future direction is by looking at the sort of players they're starting to bring in over the next season or two. So I think that could give an indication of the kind of manager that they might be looking for in the future. Okay, uh, that's Manchester City. Next up is Roma. And a central midfielder, please, Seb. Okay, um, so obviously the variable here is Fonseca arriving at Roma. Um, now, I, I haven't watched a lot of Shakhtar Donetsk outside of the Champions League or, you know, European 
you know, club football. Have we um, covered him, Alex? We have. And so I, I say anyone, you know, anyone wants to stop and just go and see Alex's excellent Shaq Dardanetsk under Fonseca video, that would be a good starting point for you right. to come back to this. Yeah. Um, Tifo Football on YouTube. Search for Shakhtar Donetsk. Yeah. Um, what I understand from his work there, and Alex, jump in, and if you need to correct me, is that um, with a central midfielder, there's a lot of emphasis on progression and verticality, and you need a you need a player that can drop into the defence as and when necessary, because those centre backs tend to get left isolated by kind of an aggressive style of play, but also uh, a pairing that um, uh, within a two uh, who can begin attacks essentially. Um, at the moment, um, Roma, well, Roma mainly used uh, Steven Nzonzi and Brian Cristante last season. I quite like Cristante. Um, yep, he's not a bad player at all. Yeah, Nzonzi, I, I don't know, and this, this may prove entirely wrong, but I suspect will we'll prove a little bit static and limited for Fonseca. Um, so I've gone with someone a little bit more mobile, a bit more technical, uh, Stanislav Lobotka from Celta Vigo. Um, oh, yeah, that's a nice choice. I'm... My only concern is size, because if what you say in the video is correct and you need a player that's going to drop into that back two, probably. Um, the system's familiar. Roma played a 4-2-3-1 last season. Fonseca prefers a 4-2-3-1, so that's, that's quite easy. Lobotka is a possession player. Uh, he's actually lovely to watch. It's strange that he hasn't had a move already, because um, I may be wrong, but I think his, his release clause is only something like 40 million euros, something, something you know, minimal in this market. Um, but that will be very, very interesting. Um, whether Nzonzi stays in that role because of the defensive support he operates, he offers, obviously people remember him from his time at Stoke um, and the sort of obelisk type holding midfielder that he was. Um, but yeah, Lobotka, I'd like, I'd like that. Um, can I put he, another he caveat? Could, Lobotka could play more as the Fred role. I would have thought so. I mean, Fred, I still don't feel like I fully appreciate all of Fred's dimensions after his first season at Man United. I think one of the great things about it is he's just called Fred. I think so. And therefore that makes any discussion of him and conducted in a serious light kind of slightly bizarre. In a non-snarky way, I spent most of last season trying to work out how it was that someone said, yeah, 15 million pound player for, for him. I understand what he did at Shakhtar, but the context is obviously very, very important. Shakhtar, uh, you know, uh, Dino Kiev aside, like that is a... That is a true duopoly of a league. Um, so that's interesting. Anyway, the, the caveat I was going um, uh, to sort of fire back at you was uh, Fazio, because he is he's a first-choice centre-half at Roma, and uh, given his glorious time at Spurs, when he proved to be kind of like, it's like, like sort of erecting a statue on the edge of your penalty box, and it was that sort of defensive security that he, that he offered. He is not a mobile player. Maybe he's someone that will also... Uh, be culled possibly yeah, by Fonseca. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting question because, I mean, so Roma have signed Diawara um, and I think that... That's a good signing. It's a good signing. It happened, I think, only like a week ago, maybe less. So um, that may go some way to be that sort of the, what in Shakhtar terms was the left-hand side of that pivot. Um, the Fred side of it, basically. Yeah, and, and they do have Pellegrini there. Um, who is a good, young, dynamic Italian midfielder. So, slightly further forward, probably, Pellegrini. Yeah, but Zaniola? I think he's leaving. Well, he might be, but they might... Kind of hoping he's 
on his way to, yeah. to Spurs. Oh, to Spurs. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> don't don't step on the dream. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I think I think actually, if if I were Roma, if I were Fonseca, I would be looking at defensive cover rather than a midfielder. Um, however, just one name I would chuck out is uh, Jose Cifuentes, who is the like uh, Ecuadorian who everyone's been hugely excited about off the back of the World Cup performances. And the reason I say this, and I know this is this is a, a Luca Waldschmidt, where Seb has this kind of reticence to bring up players who've recently done well in youth tournaments because it makes it sound like we're just jumping on bandwagons. Mm. But in terms of occupying the Fred sort of role, Sifuentes is actually a really good shout for that because he drops very deep. He can screen defensively. He's got a very, very metronomic, tidy range of passing but he has the ability to carry the ball and drive forwards. The difficulty with a player like that is that he's playing in the Ecuadorian top league um, for America de Quito, which is clearly not the most competitive thing. So really, it's one of those few instances where a youth competition, an international competition, is the first time you really get to see him against top-class opposition. He would be a great player, I think. I, I believe that he's been linked with Celtic, he's been linked with Man City. There is... I can't see any way on God's earth he'd get a work permit. So that's why I think if you're if you're a Spanish club or, or an Italian club, he would suit that style of deep build-up uh, and then progressive passing that, that, that clubs in those leagues like. So I think he would be great. He's the kind of person you could probably hoover up for not a huge amount of money either if you're more likely to give him first-team football than someone like Man City would. Okay. Um, so that's what I would go for. In terms of Fred... I think um, I think there was a Brazilian at Shakhtar fallacy going on there, which was that a number of other players had made that tr- that transformation successfully and gone on and done well, particularly Willian. Um, I do think he's a very good player, but I think he's a, a very good player within a particular sort of system. It wouldn't surprise me, actually, if Roma came in for him. Did um, who did he, did he play alongside Stepanenko? I can't remember Stepanenko's first uh, name. Taras Stepanenko, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, who actually is kind of a converted centre-back. Yeah. And, and, and Shakhtar have had enough. I mean, um, who was that funny one who ended up at uh, Barcelona for a little bit? Dimitri Chorizhenko uh, or Chigrinsky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chigrinsky. And he, again, he could play as a sort of screening midfielder as well as a centre-back. He was a kind of, he was a ball player. Like his, his, yeah. his, his kind of meal ticket was, he had a lovely left foot and a nice range of passing, but obviously kind of, you know, playing 40, 50 yard diagonals was kind of anathema to what Barcelona wanted to do and it could never quite be coached out of him when he when he got to Spain. Good player though. Very okay. good player. Are we are we done with Roma? I think we're done yeah, with yeah, Roma. Yeah, if you're, yeah. Are you you're keen to move on, I see. Well, I'd like to move on okay. because I'm excited about the next one also. As I have been excited about all of them. Just a reminder, you can see the names for these players uh, in the description below the podcast because Alex and Seb are going to give them to me immediately after we finish, aren't you? Just I say that now. Apparently so. Yes. 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 Great. Okay. Superb. Wonderful. Also, please subscribe to this podcast. If you are watching us on YouTube, consider finding the audio version on your preferred podcast downloading uh, would you, app. Would you encourage or, people to do both? I would encourage people to do both. I would encourage people to just leave the house for work and leave YouTube on to uh, watch through the whole of the YouTube video. <laughs> it would make our uh, watch time statistics wonderful. Please do that. Uh, think about us all the time. 
Uh, also, if you leave a, a rating and a review, it genuinely does help other people find us. So if you want to spread the word about TIFO, evangelize, my friends. And uh, we move on now to Everton and a centre forward. And Alex, let us begin with you. Now explain to me why Everton need a centre forward and what one that should be. Okay, they need a centre forward because I think Everton are in a kind of, I suppose, a certain progression that they, you know... They're on our list, by the way, aren't they? They are on our list. They are, and I don't mean any uh, offence to Everton by this, but they, <laughs> they, are, they are the smallest team in, term, in, in all... In all terms on the list, yeah, I'm right? sure no Everton fans will be offended by I that. Don't, don't, I, what I mean is to, is to say they are included with lofty, uh, with lofty. Uh, yeah, the point I'm making. I don't feel is this that, is good for the watch on. time. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is that below the top six or the top two or the top two in the in the leagues that we are doing, Everton is the only choice of club. Yeah. that we have selected that is not part within the sort of championship elite level. Yeah. And that's because it's an interesting time to talk about Everton, isn't it? That's that's a fine, that's a better way to say that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um like, tell me why though. So why okay, well Marco Silva is is rapidly approaching like maximum Marco Silva tenure. I because, forgot he was still there. <laughs> well because he never ever stays at clubs for very long. Mm. Um but I think there are there are the beginnings of an interesting side there. Um I think they've got a couple of younger players. Um, I, I believe John Joe Kenny's going out on loan, which I think is actually already gone. Already gone. Disappointing to me. I would have kept him around, but you know there there are there are some good players there. I think he's going to Silver is going to increasingly be able to stamp a style on there. And I think one of the things with Everton last season was it was it was at times difficult to really get to grips with how they wanted to play. You you could see style. What are they? What are they? Well. No, I just mean I'm I'm, I'm supporting oh, your right. point. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I don't understand what's happening. What are Everton, happening? really? Um, I mean, Everton, for a lot of the season, Everton were a very, very good left back, and let's try and see what happens after that. Mm. Um, so in terms of looking for a striker, the first thing I would say, actually, is is just give Dominic Calvert-Lewin minutes and, and see what happens there. Uh, it's not ideal, but, you know, that you've got Everton, I think, seem strongest when there is a core of of players that are coming through and you do have people like Tom Davis you have people like John Joe Kenny there are players there that can be developed and you can build a side around so maybe Calvert-Lewin is one of those can I interject here though and tell you another a rumor that I heard today on 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 Twitter uh, which was that Farshad Mossiri wants to uh, make an an impact uh, signing in terms of on the market and that Diego Costa was being considered. I mean, that would that would oh, be would dis- ridiculous. Dismiss that out of that's hand because Mashiri, the the sort of the hope now is that sort of um, obviously Marcel Brands is entirely responsible for. You know, Fire Mashiri shouldn't be making any kind of transfer anything. It's not his role. He is sure. A because it's not his role, and B because Marcel Brands is really smart. And I think I'm right in saying you did a very good piece on this. Uh, I did a piece. I don't know if it was any good, but yeah, basically oh, just God. on his kind of um, <laughs> on, on his time at PSV. Like uh, Brands is 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 big on interclub relationships. He is keen on continuity, on identifying like high value players at a low value, um, using his academy. Can't use the academy at the moment as, to its full extent because um, it's currently under a transfer ban until twenty twenty. They can't sign under eighteen players. Who um, isn't these days? Well, there you go. Yeah, I missed that. When did that happen? The, a couple of years ago, there was some. Uh, it, it involved a um, what for Cardiff City years? player? No, it was two years. Two but years. Um, 
uh, it, I think it was two years anyway, but they, um, there was some impropriety in relation to a Cardiff City player whose name I forget, but yeah, they can't bring in under 18s until next year. Wow. So that's part of Brands, that will be part of Brands' remit. So you're kind of getting, you know, so diet and Marcel Costa. Brands. It would be really stupid. So I've, I've, I've got four players <laughs> that, and I'm going to just back them out quickly because I know we've been, we've been out. talking for a while already, I think. Yeah. Um, so the first is uh, a guy, big strapping target man, <laughs> on loan from West Brom recently. <laughs> Salomon Rondon. We're, I know, we're laughing I know, because I know we Salomon Rondon all the time. Sure. He's really good. He's got a £16 million release clause. Hello. Please don't send him to China. It would be a waste. No. So I, it, if I'm literally any club yep. in the Premier League, except prob. Oh God, I'd love him there. Mm. So he is there. He is worth considering. any club. Uh, okay, you not, can't love him that much that you think Salomon Rondon should go, could go to any club. You can make an argument that says he is a, a even at some of the, the best clubs in the He's country. The he is a very B. cool Plan B to have. What for, about for what about Spurs, a Plan B instead yeah. of Divock Origi at Liverpool? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Spurs? Arguably, yeah. I don't know what instead of Vincent Janssen. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Well, isn't isn't uh, haven't you got um, Mr. Double L? What's his no, name? No, he's been released. Fernando Llorente. No. Yeah, he's released gone. last week. Staggeringly handsome man, Llorente, mm. but also thirty four. So, yeah. um, so he he is he's a genuine option. He also would be a really good fit for Everton, particularly because they they do like both long balls and a lot of crosses. So I think he would work really well. And they have, who's their guy, uh, Cenk Tosun now, isn't it? Right. Um, so, I mean, Tosun... Weren't we suggesting we last week that he could Tosin. go to Newcastle? Hey, it's a, it's a classic <laughs> old-fashioned swap. swap deal. Well, not really, because... Newcastle Rondon's don't own Rondon, by, so... Um, yeah. West Brom probably wouldn't be that happy about that swap deal, I wouldn't have no, thought. I suspect they'd feel slightly gooseberried by it. <laughs> Um, it's the modern world. Other options. If you want to develop a style of play that is more vertical, less reliant on crosses, uh, pick up a player who has excelled at a level below and is really good at chasing through balls, good finisher, um, I would go for Neil Morpé at Brentford, who I really like. If you want more of a target man, big, strapping, bustling, physical presence, great presser, Young again, 19 years old. Josh Sargent, the US forward who's currently at Werder Bremen, is definitely worth looking at. Um, and, and he's from the US of A. He's from the US of A, but he has been playing internationally for them, so he'd probably be okay work permit-wise. Okay. Um, they like the Americans. They let them all in. Slightly out there shout, lastly, is a guy called... I'm just going to ignore you when you do that. No, I'm, I'm just trying um, to stir, stir it up a little. Is a guy called... Let's talk about immigration. Oh, we talked about America before. No, don't bring no, that up. No, I can't, no, I can't say that on here. Um, Clément, Clément Dupré. Um, Dupré? Dupré. Um, my French pronunciation is not good. It's a lovely name, though. Uh, Clément, Clément Dupré. Dupré from Nîmes. From Nîmes. Um, Nîmes are one of these French clubs who don't is... Say, don't say Youth Factory again. Oh, you, say that gonna... to, you were about to say I'm that, weren't you? I'm not going to say Youth Factory because He's always talking Nîmes. about Salomon Rondon. He's talking about French clubs having youth factories where they, you know, you know what I'm saying. Where they so, make don't you? the youth. I'm glad there's a witness here. I'm with him on Rondon. Like, no, I could have put Rondon on every single entry I've got in front of me. <laughs> so, so what, you could have put him on Roma Central Roma. Um, <laughs> He'd do a job. Nîmes are like uh, Angers, um, who are, there. they don't have a lot of money but they're really smart at recruitment. Uh, Dupre is 
again, quite a physical presence. He's a target man. His goals per 90 and XG per 90 is excellent. He gets in the box a lot. Doesn't take maybe quite as many shots as I'd like him to, but he's only 24 um, and he has done very well for a team that is not great. I mean, you know, they're sort of very mid to lower mid ranking league side, but there's enough about his game to suggest that he'd be a relatively inexpensive option. Nima, the sort of side that are used to selling off their best assets and replacing them with kids from the Nationale that no one's ever heard of. How do so, they develop those players? Do they have a... They have a... No, they don't. They have a factory. Is that your last one? Uh, that's my last one for Everton. Great. Okay, Seb, who have you got for Everton? Okay, so I've got two different approaches here. Um... You can go down the target man route or you can you can um, look at what is already in place at Everton. So that kind of like triangle of Sigurdsson, Richarlison, Bernard at the top of the pitch and put in a, a sort of almost like a continuity player who can score goals. You know, not a focal point, but someone who is, you know, can become uh, almost like a... just Tosin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, 35 million pounds, Vissam Ben Yedder from Seville. Um, there were lots of rumours about Man United in there. Uh, I, I, this is the thing: is like, I don't like him at Man United because I think if you put him at Man United, you expose he's not he's not, he's not a player that sort of he's not a player that's going to win you a championship. Like, but he is a I don't a think good that matters so much if you play for Manchester United. No, but it? that is the expectation, whether it's realistic or not. You're kind of Manchester United is a world of saviors now. Mm. Everton is a you know a club which is progressive, is looking forward, it's kind of it's emerging from its chaotic last couple of years, hopefully. Um, ben Yedder is banging his prime. You're not going to get, um, you're not going to make a profit on him. He is purely a sign him two, three years. What can we make out of those four players at the top of the pitch? Um, because I really like them. If, if, if you can get the chemistry right in there, it's a really nice balance of attributes. Mm. Um, and you don't necessarily need um, a, a big target man there because, you know, you've got a big centre-back trio. Um, you've got Richarlison, who's very, very good in the air. Well, not very, very good in the air, but useful in the air. He's a presence in the air. Um, so Ben Yedda, that's a, a very obvious one. My speculative pick is a target man. Uh, six foot four uh, from Mainz, uh, has generally played in a four three one two, so that might be a bit of a problem. Uh, but Jean-Philippe Mateta um, can, be a, can look a little bit clumsy. He, he is only 22. So I'm six foot four and it's hard to not look clumsy. He is a more athletic six foot four than you. Oh. Easy, does but this it. this is the problem. He's quite slender, um, so as a result, a slender player always looks a little bit more clumsy than than he probably is. Uh, good finisher, powerful finisher, good in the air, um, surprisingly good uh, at holding the ball up too. Um, so it, it contradicts everything I've just said. But if you did want a player that could be could serve as a pivot, and I'm remembering how well um, Everton did with you know, how well Everton used Lukaku. I know he was imperfect. I know what his flaws as a footballer are, um, but he was suited for that role. Um, ben Yedder isn't the same body, uh, Mateta isn't the same body type. He isn't quite, uh, doesn't have the same sort of skill set either, but very interesting. Uh, 10 league goals in the Bundesliga last season. Um, still raw. Um, so it's a, it's a gamble, but uh it's interesting. He's someone that will probably uh, play at a pretty good level, I'd say. I think Mainz are, and there are a couple of clubs, and actually I'm by mentioning Angers already as well. There are certain clubs that you can look at the kind of players over the last, particularly the last three or four years, 
that they've brought in from lower leagues or from leagues that you've not really heard of. And some of those players have gone on to do well elsewhere and or have shown enough promise to go on and do else do well elsewhere that if you're a bigger club then it's sort of you know an Everton are a bigger club in that sense you can look at a Mainz or an Angers and think almost like they've already done quite a lot of our work for us mm. because if they've bothered to go and find this lad and, yeah. and Matata was a league a league de player, I think. He he came to prominence at Le Havre. He scored. That's I mean, it. he was prolific. Yeah. Um, and then he had a season somewhere else. He went, he was on loan at Le Havre from, I think, I think he is actually a Leon Academy product. Okay. Something like that. I may be wrong. Yeah. Um, but this, this incidentally would be a good time to plug next week's podcast. What is next week's podcast? We've got uh, Ali Maxwell on. Oh, is that next from, week? N- yeah, from uh, okay. Not the Top 20. Yeah. And his colleague, whose name I can't remember, which is why I was signalling for you to say. George Alec. George Alec. Yeah, they, they, I've, spoken, I've spoken to them both on, on email. But they're coming on next week uh, because of their expertise in yeah. lower league players. And it struck me that this would be a good time to talk about that because um, yeah, I mean, it's I think- pretty much what you're saying. It's like we're Everton and they're our Mainz and we don't actually have to do any of the research. We can just get Ali and George on and they can uh, do it for they us. They can do it for us. Yeah. yeah. So I do, I do think there are certain, I mean, if, for example, if I were a mid-table Premier League side, I would be looking at half the Angers starting eleven because they're really, really good. Flavian Tate. Flavian Tate, Santa yeah. Maria. Um, good player. And, you know, so that these, these are players that they are hoovering up. Usually, and what's, this is what's interesting about those clubs, Mainz particularly look at, at the second division in France. You know, they're clubs that have quite often, because of their limited resources, they've poured their efforts into a small geographical region or one particular league and therefore become extremely expert in that league. And you can use clubs like this effectively as a proxy scouting tool Hmm. because they've gone through a process and yeah, like I said, it does some of the work for you. So Mateta has definitely been linked with a couple of of Premier League sides and wouldn't look out of place, I think. I mean, there's there's just that sort of, uh, you know, when when there's rawness, sometimes fans find it a little bit difficult to to um accept a player so i wonder about sort of yeah i just wonder about that transition but uh yeah certainly a lot of potential and everton could do a lot worse next up and fight well finally is uh crystal palace now we only have a few moments here so again we have to keep it brief we are so bad at balancing out uh i mean we talked about manchester City for half an hour I mean, who's who's the host of the podcast who's supposed to finesse all of this? Who are these guests who won't refuse to be stopped, who off air, uh, you know, t- tell me that they'll uh, tie up and, 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 and injure my family if I interrupt them? Um, I feel or- that's 30 seconds we can cut, probably. <laughs> uh, Crystal Palace, replacements for Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Wilfred Zaha should, should Zaha leave, although it just doesn't seem that clear that he will at the moment. I'll, um, I'll, I'll go first. Let's go AWB first. Yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be tricky for me to do Zaha because I, I just didn't. You, so, okay, I've, I've done Zaha. So, okay, um, fine. I, I mean, I ran out of time. Sure. Um, Wan-Bissaka is, the thing that's immediately worth saying about Wan-Bissaka is you are not going to replace a player of his defensive calibre at right back. Sure. So I've gone for, uh, there's two options really. The first is the most defensive fullback I can find who's of a reasonable quality and is possibly available. He's a guy called Fabio De Paoli, who's at Sampdoria. 
um, physically a reasonable presence. Um, he can pass the ball quite nicely up the line, but he's kind of tough. He makes a lot of tackles. He, you know, he's solid. It's interesting having watched a lot of right backs defending how bad most of them are mm. at actual one-on-one defending. It makes you realise why someone like Wan Bissaka is so unusual in the modern game to find a, a fullback where his defensive capabilities are so significantly advanced of most other players. So that is interesting. It's also interesting that in my research for the defensive aspect, Diego Dallo does show up really well. So, you know, maybe if he's available to somebody. Um, a much more attacking version. They said they were going to let him go, didn't they? Well, I mean, I think that's really stupid. There was an that. outcry uh, over that. I mean, this is a conversation from another time. I just... No, no, sure. But, it, but it's indicative of... Of a of a, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about it another mm, time. We'll talk about it another time. They're idiots. Mm. Um, then there's a guy, Alexis Selamakis, who is at Anderlecht, who is uh, only 20, um, defensively nowhere near Wambasaka's calibre, um, but is one of the most exciting, in my opinion, attacking right backs uh, in European football outside the top leagues at the moment. If uh, And the reason I chuck him in is because if, Palace do lose Sahar as well, then they're going to need to replicate that kind of dynamism, attacking ability, crossing ability on the right-hand flank. And I think he could do that. I think he'd probably be pretty cheap as well. Um, He's a a player who looks like a real prospect and is probably fairly under the radar because Anderlecht are not, you know, they're not a massive side. They did have a reputation a couple of years ago with the kind of Tillman, Dennis Preit, um, Dundonka. But Dendonka. people have sort of slightly. That guy was great. Deleuze. He was the Deleuze marauding Deleuze. winger, Deleuze. wasn't he? No, no he's, a, he's, he's a very midfielder. much a defensive midfielder. Who am I thinking of? Who was who was the Netherlands winger? No, well, Dendonka's Belgian. So yeah, if if Palace if Palace want to reinvest a sliver of their funds, but also change their their style, become more attacking, more dynamic down that right hand flank, Alexis Silamakas at Andelect, go by him. Okay. Um, I've made a few differences within my picks because a couple of things about Palace. Uh, they need to be slightly more attacking. Uh, they're a very backfoot side that rely on the pace of, of Andros Townsend and Wilfred Zahar, one of whom they might lose. They're also a very old squad. The only, reg- the, the only player who regularly plays in that, in that squad who's under the age of 25 is Max Meyer. And that's one of the, 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 the imperatives this summer is to adjust that dynamic. So, um, first fullback, um, Paul Lirola from Sassuolo. Um, not like Wan Bissaka stylistically at all. He is a more of an attacking fullback. Um, good height though. Um, I think that's an important thing when replacing Wan Bissaka. You you got to compensate for what you're losing when you're defending set pieces. So get that in there. The other one, a uh, very obvious one, it will have occurred to just about everybody. Reese James, uh, Chelsea's Reese James, who spent last season um, on loan at Wigan. Um, probably the sort of the uh, the best fullback prospect in the country for my money. Uh, Wigan's player of the season last year. Um, I think Palace are actually linked with him on loan, possibly. So that's an interesting one. Um, the Wilfred Zaha question, uh, we don't, I, I don't personally think he will leave, or I don't think he's going to Arsenal because I don't think Arsenal can afford him. Um, but um, I don't believe you can replace him uh, with one player because he sort of, most of last season, he played as a kind of, he really played as a centre forward uh, with Andros Townsend. But whilst playing as a centre forward, he also kind of covers the role of sort of inverted left-sided forward wing or whatever you want to call it. He, he very much operates on that side of the pitch. 
So I've got two players um, that you could probably, uh, well, you could easily afford for, for what you uh, receive for Zaha. One is, Alex mentioned him earlier, Neil Mapai uh, from Brentford. I, I think he's an excellent player waiting to be a Premier League player. Um, actually, Shea Adams would have been a very nice uh, no, very nice addition before he went to Southampton. That would have yeah. made some sense. I'm excited about him. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you should be. Um, but my, my wide player is Osama Idrisi from AZ Alkmaar. Um, not uh, not really comparable to Zaha in terms of uh, final product, but has a very skillful player, um, has a very useful change of pace. He's kind of player that sort of, you know, can shimmy, he's got a sort of big bag of tricks, but he can accelerate very, very quickly over a short uh, number of yards. Um, I don't know. He's one of those Eredivisie players that you could imagine going one of two ways, like either being a revelation in a higher league or being an absolute bust. So it's obviously a gamble, but then... That's the reality. If you're going to replace someone like Zaha, you're going to have to take a risk because Palace just can't go out and buy a player that replaces someone of that ability. It's just, that's not how the game works. Sadly, it's um, unfair, but the reality nonetheless. Um, so he's interesting because plays in the same area, um, has a few of the same tendencies in it, actually in, in terms of, you know, how long it keeps the ball, how quickly he, re- how, or how quickly he doesn't release it. Um, he's a clear counter-attacking uh, threat. And he's also just 23, which is nice, which is kind of serve as our broader purpose too. Okay, great. Um, we did have one more thing, which I don't think we have time to cover now, uh, which was uh, suggesting a, a sporting director or a director of football for Manchester United. Maybe we'll come back to do that. In fact, it strikes me that... We could almost certainly do a whole podcast on that. Well, I was going to say perhaps we should towards the end of the summer because... Uh, That's a big old topic, that, I think. As people know who'll be watching uh, YouTube videos at the moment, uh, one or two videos a week are in the sensible transfer format where we take a club and do a whole video about them. We've got a list. You might be able to see just behind uh, Seb's head there, some of them. Um, we mentioned Everton will be on them before as well. But uh, we did Manchester United quite early on in that list uh, before much of their transfer business was completed, before the Wambasaka transfer had even happened, I think. So maybe it would make sense for us to return to them at the end of the, uh, of the summer and do a podcast that we can, in which we can talk about that as well. Um, but uh, Seb thank you very much thank you Joe Alex thank you thank you Joe hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode and we will be back next week with the guys from Not The Top 20 Uh, come and listen to that thank you goodbye goodbye